0: Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Uh, Thanks for joining us this week. This week, we are going to be talking about 1975's Three Days of the Condor, a Sidney Pollock film starring Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway, Cliff Robertson, and a personal favorite of mine, Max von Sydow. Mm -hmm. Um, Peter, this was your pick, and I have to confess, I had never seen this before. I had actually only heard of the title and knew nothing else about it.
1: Awesome. King of the so this was uh, I movies. came into
0: this and I read nothing about it before I saw it although I I read a fair bit afterwards but I read nothing before I saw it I went in totally cold
1: that's good this is a nice cult hit so even though it's not a science fiction movie it's uh, fits yeah.
0: in yeah we don't have we're not just limited to sci fi so my my next pick might be horror so just prepare yourself <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. do you want to give a brief <laughs> <laughs> sure summary. But yeah, for those who haven't seen it
1: or haven't yeah, seen it in a while I'm going to have a spoiler in this so you know if you're going to watch it, it then it's just from
0: 1975 get- so
1: yeah I know <laughs> I but- guess we're,
0: we're allowed to have a spoiler
1: Uh, True that. Well, everything we say is a spoiler, but in particular. So in this movie, Robert Redford plays uh, Joe Turner, who's a rather low-level, bookwormy CIA analyst who's definitely not supposed to be a field agent. And he goes out for lunch, literally comes back from lunch, and everybody in his little office in Manhattan is dead. And they're all shot and killed uh, within a short span of time when he goes out. So he basically runs away. He flees. He becomes more and more paranoid that someone's trying to kill him. They have a meeting where they actually do try to kill him when they're going to bring him in. Then he uh, hides in a ski shop and kidnaps uh, Kathy Hale, um, who's played by Faye Dunaway, takes her to an apartment, holds up with her. Basically, they end up kind of like becoming lovers um, in a slightly awkward way. And um, in the end, he figures out what's going on uh, Robert Redford's uh, character figures out that the plot within this, that there's a plot within the CIA that they found out, um, they got a copy of a report that he issued, um, about, you know, day-to-day activities that, that they're supposed to do in that CIA office that revealed sort of a network within the CIA that was compromised. And then, um, they went to basically cover that up by killing everyone. And he, in the end, um, shows up at the person in charge's house in Maryland. And um, there's a scene where uh, the the killer uh, turns tables and kills the evil CIA person instead of Robert Redford. And they head off. And then there's an interesting final scene that's extra paranoid, which we'll talk about. But, okay. Uh, Good. That's Good. the movie. Um,
0: so it starts off with a long sequence uh, where you kind of are introduced to the uh, cast or sort of, I guess like his cohorts at his CIA cell and it's directed and filmed in such a way that you think that these are all going to be key characters that you're going to be following for the movie. Yes. Um, and then, you know, by about 10 or 12 minutes into the movie, one by one, they're they're shot and killed in a very sort of Blunt and direct, right? And but I guess my talking more about the way it's filmed. Yes, like it's not done in a romantic way. Like they're shot and they, you know, sprawl on the floor in a pool of blood. Like it's not a very uh, cinematic way. It's done in a sort of hyper realistic manner, right? And And they they purposely you purposely have uh, the scene with him and the Asian woman who's portrayed who's portrayed in a very very. Uh, appealing way i mean she's it's kind of implied that she's his girlfriend or maybe was his girlfriend
1: yeah i think they actually um, they they do imply that because when he shows up at uh his partner's uh, his murdered friend's wife when she doesn't know he's dead um stan right or whatever right um, right uh no sam they ask sam. they
0: ask after her
1: right and they're supposed to have dinner together as two couples and the table That's is true. set. So that sort of... And, I, and again,
0: she's presented in a super appealing way, right. you know, only to be, you know, gunned down. And she's
1: obviously mm-hmm. super
0: young also.
1: And the whole the whole station is very familial. It's sort of this close... It's in a nice little townhouse, and they have a nice little office, and it's in, uh, like, either on the Upper East Side mm-hmm. or in Midtown somewhere in New York, and very nice. And the, the whole atmosphere is clearly sort of close I and familial... Um, you know they play word games and mystery games with each other, and you're right. You sort of you think that this is a basis for the movie, so okay. they it's good because then when they all get killed, it's sort of it uh, it's, it dislocates you. You know, it's sort of uh,
0: right, and, and all the expectations that they've set up for you, you know, are out the window, and then you're suddenly along with Turner. You know, you're untethered, and you don't know what's happening or why, and you're you're running around the streets with him. Right. I thought um a nice bit was um the the most senior head at his CIA cell, the older gentleman, you know, there's a couple of shots to show that he is wearing an obvious toupee. <laughs> uh, and then when he's shot and killed, his toupee falls off. Like mm-hmm. the sort of sort of drive home sort of the brutality and the indignity of the attack.
1: Um right. And I like the uh, scene in the, the diner when he's going to pick up, like he goes to this crappy diner to pick up lunch. And it's, it's just, <laughs> you know, he knows the guy, the guy behind the thing. They know everybody by name. And it's just, it's very kind of, um, you know, cheers, very familiar, you know, the, the, whole, the whole thing. And it's just very ordinary, even though they're in the CIA. Um, it's sort of a very ordinary existence. Right. The diner
0: is apparently still in existence. Apparently, the diner uh, that he gets his lunch at is still open and looks, for all intents and purposes, the same. Only in New York. It's the Lexington Candy Shop at 1226 Lexington between 82nd and 83rd. Nice. <laughs> um the opening. Uh, I just want to say actually a word about the opening credits because the opening credits. Before we get too far into it and too far from the opening, the opening credits highlight a teletype, which you know now basically doesn't exist. But teletypes were a big deal in the seventies. And do you remember the Jerry Anderson science fiction show UFO? I remember of it, but I don't really remember it because the the opening shot of the opening credits of Jerry Anderson's UFO. Is a teletype very very similar to this, and I don't know which came first, but it's almost the exact same idea.
1: Well, the computer technology in this movie was was science fiction at the time, because well, and it's
0: it's right at the it's right at the edge
1: of sort of what's possible.
0: So actually, UFO is brought is is actually made first. UFO is from nineteen seventy. Uh-huh. Uh, it has one of the best opening credit sequences of any sci-fi show, but the but but the opening of Three Days of the Condor is very very similar. Just some of the shots, the way the teletype is filmed. Yeah, um, and this and the other thing too that this reminded me of. I mean, that shot aside, it reminded me a lot of Silence of the Lambs, in the sense that it portrayed government agents and government operatives as being part of a very large and vast network of technologically savvy people. I wish our real <laughs> intelligence <laughs> operatives worked like that, but uh, but it reminded me a lot of Silence of the Lambs, especially the way, you know, uh, the forensics are portrayed, uh, you know, at Quantico and that. And similar, also, I guess it reminds me somewhat of Manhunter, the Michael Mann uh, version of Hannibal Lecter at all. But again, just sort of similar ideas there, like the technologically immersed and savvy government operatives. Right, and vast. <laughs> right. Um, so um, so everybody is killed, and he's out in the street. Yeah. Um, I, I like the way that there's a lot of rotary phones in this movie. There's both rotary and touch tone phones, so this must have been in that. Transition period between the two, but there's lots of shots of of rotary phones, which I kind of enjoyed seeing. Yeah, um, and then he sort of runs around. He runs around the city like he doesn't know where to go. You know, yeah. they want he wants to be brought in. He knows he can't go home because everything is compromised.
1: Right, but, but he, he doesn't know. And it's Christmas. He doesn't time know where he can.
0: Yeah, although it doesn't look very
1: cold. Yeah, well, like I, I, don't know. There's not a lot of snow
0: it. on the ground in this
1: movie. No, only a couple of scenes. But there's a of lot of
0: Christmas lighting and Christmas decorations about.
1: Right, and later it looks colder. I think it probably, you know, they they sh- obviously shot this movie over, movie over whatever. It's not a couple months, probably. So uh, it probably was cold part of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the city is very prominently featured, and it's it's a very uh, realistic feeling in New York City.
0: Well, and the city is almost a character in this movie. Yep. Uh, the, the city plays such a role in there, you know, he runs all around, he drives up and down. I think he even buys a hot dog from a, a Sabret vendor at one point.
1: <laughs> yeah. You Central know I
0: mean? He, yeah. He kind of like, you definitely kind of, you get the sense of Manhattan uh, as being, like I said, a character in the movie. Yeah. Um, so I think we have to, I think for me, there's a kind of an elephant in the room here. Um, And the elephant in the room here is that Robert Redford slash Turner is the hero, right? You'd agree. Mm -hmm. Or at least he's our protagonist. But he kidnaps Faye Dunaway. Like, for all intents and purposes, he kidnaps her. And, I mean, he does more than kidnap her. He, like, ties her to a bed at one point.
1: In the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Right. He, he kidnaps her. And also you're one, you kind of got to wonder why. So does for the he, list, just,
0: just for the listeners, yeah. uh, Faye Dunaway is essentially a completely innocent bystander that he essentially abducts because she has access to a car. She's
1: a random and, bystander
0: so that he literally. can, you know, so he can be ferreted out of danger.
1: Right. It's after, car. after they try to kill him and he ducks into a, a ski shop and she's in there. Right. And she's, randomly. she's
0: on her way to Vermont to meet her boyfriend.
1: Right. And, you know, to me, the plot, you know, their, their relationship um, becomes part of the plot and their interaction as her personality, as someone who doesn't trust anyone and who feels isolated um, as a, as a personality trait becomes part of the plot, but, and becomes part of the movie's story in a way and vibe, but. Why did he really have, I mean, why didn't the guy just grab it? you know, get into a taxi, uh, you know, why didn't, he, why didn't he go hide somewhere, you know, right, change get a bunch of subway. subways, right, change right, a bunch or, of trains and go to a hotel?
0: Right, or take the Long Island Railroad and head
1: out to Montauk, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't see why he really had I, I, to kidnap somebody.
0: No, and I, ha- I have to tell you, like, for me, it was the hardest part of the movie. Like, I could not get past the fact that, he kidnaps her he functionally assaults her
1: ties and she her falls up for him
0: right right which that's that's the biggest stretch of the movie like it's not a stretch that there could be a secret cell of bad dudes in the CIA that's I totally bought into that the idea that you're going to abduct somebody you know assault her, tie her up but she'll still be good with, you know, going to bed with you.
1: <laughs> right. It's not exactly feminist, is it? I mean Well y- y- you could tell the I movie mean, it's a little of its time in that sense because he's Robert Redford. So she's like, yeah, it's Robert Redford.
0: And and that's part of it too. Like, you know, she's um you know, she's kind of smitten with him, and again, he's supposed to be um super duper good looking, but Um, I don't know. Like, I I didn't buy it. Like, I just didn't buy that she would, you know, not just fall for him, but essentially become... It's almost Stockholm Syndrome. It is Stockholm Syndrome. And I actually have that written down on my thing. Like, I wrote down Stockholm Syndrome.
1: I think they made an error when they... In the plot. Because what, what they should have done is... They she falls for him and they sleep together and, you know, I guess whatever, they fall for each other um, right before the postman slash CIA assassin uh, renegade comes, to her comes to kill him. And it should have happened after that because then you it would have been more uh, understandable. Um, because they basically faced danger and they overcame it. And also it lends, it's the final thing that gives him full credibility at that point. So it,
0: that that's absolutely true, but that's at, but I think they've already slept together. By they have it,
1: actually, she's coming out of like the shower
0: in the right. morning
1: <laughs> and the postman is, and then she comes out of the shower and they're like battling each other in her living room.
0: Right. I, I don't know. Like that for me, it was, a, it was a real stumbling block um and again i mean it's it's very hard to like him i think like he does a lot of questionable stuff and again you know you don't mind anything else but she's truly not involved in this and he ropes her knee deep into this and and she ends up being you know his agent going on a you know a, a mission for him to carry a message and again you know um There is an episode of uh, Enterprise. I'm not changing the topic as much as it sounds like. There is an episode of Enterprise uh, from the first season, I believe, called Rogue Planet. And uh, the episode involves uh, Captain Archer, Scott Bakula, helping uh, uh, essentially a damsel in distress and going to great pains to help out this woman. At the end of the episode, T'Pol, the Vulcan character, played by Jolene Blaylock, calls him out and says, just curious if you would have been so gung-ho to help her if she was not so attractive. Uh-huh. You know, and that's how the show kind of ends. And And I was thinking, like, you know, if he was some big, fat, ugly dude, you know, told her the exact same story, maybe she's not sleeping with him. I don't know. Like, it, it really was a big stumbling block for me. I, yeah. I won't... I won't bath it anymore but
1: yeah like they should have done it I, the other way w- what i said and you know there's another movie too that redid this to some extent that um steven soderbergh i think it was steven soderbergh out of sight with um george oh, Clooney, jennifer, and jennifer uh, lopez one Lopens, of her early right. movies which i actually thought was a good movie but um he and that's based on um you know uh, one of um elmore leonard's uh, novels Right, crime novels, and um, you know that that movie was did a good job of capturing Elmore Leonard's sort of plot style. But in that movie, I, I don't remember the full plot, but I know that the, it felt more realistic when he captured her because he was a convict, and I think she was a marshal. So right, and they, this, have, they
0: end up sleeping together too.
1: Right. Right, and but that's that's one of the central plot elements in that movie, even more than in this movie. And but the circumstances of him capturing her are more um, believable. Um,
0: it's funny. I didn't think of out of sight. I thought of two other movies where something similar happened. One is I thought a little bit about Logan's Run. Although in that movie, uh, Jessica kind of falls for Logan as they do very early on, have a shared goal. Um, and she very quickly decides to trust him, even though he's not so trustworthy in the beginning. And then, interestingly enough, the other movie I thought of also had Jenny Agater in it, is American Werewolf in London, where she's the nurse, and uh, she meets the young American who says, I'm losing my mind, I'm going crazy, and I think I'm a werewolf running around killing people, to which she responds, why don't you come and live with me? (laughs) Right? (laughs) So, (laughs) So, like, you know, in Logan's run, okay, in American World in London, which I happen to love, but like, really? Really? Like, <laughs> wow. You know, like, okay. Interesting. <laughs> um, so I have to say, I think Faye Dunaway, you know, uh, I think she's terrific in this. I think she almost steals the movie from him. I mean, he's so dominant. he's He's basically on screen for 90% of the scenes but she almost steals every scene that she's in and i think she's incredibly attractive she's a beautiful woman and they 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 if anything they down, they underplay her looks like they film her in very sort of flat lighting and largely unflattering ways um, and they you know she's got a very angular face and they almost kind of like film her in a, in a way to sort of downplay that um, but I thought she did a terrific job, even though I didn't really buy her character, her part, she just does, she's so winning on the screen, you know, like she's kind of an enigmatic woman. Like it's hard to kind of pigeonhole as to what type of actress she is, but you know, she, she she plays a complex role here and, uh, she does, I think she does a good job of it.
1: I think she largely kind of rescues that plot problem, especially once the killer comes and then you sort of. You forgive her character's strange Stockholm Syndrome effect. But um, but she, she she's terrific. Actually, I think Redford is too. And I think um, Max Fonsito is terrific too. I think those three are
0: Yeah, are I, I, I was going to make some comments about Max Fonsito. Um, I had a couple notes about him. I think Redford is, he's okay. I mean, it's his movie for sure. And this is kind of the height of his Redford period. In Hollywood, but, you know, I don't know, like I can't decide, is he supposed to be the bumbling analyst or yeah. is he the guy who they said was in the military for two years and he's, you know, running around having like, you know, knockdown, drag out, closed fist fights and firing rounds out in the open and alleys. And I don't know, like they kind of couldn't decide, like, is he the bookworm or is he the super spy? Like they go back and forth.
1: I think he's supposed to be a highly capable modern everyman in a way. I think he's supposed to be a guy who's very sharp and is able and his talent is figuring things out that are not, uh, is functioning in a, in a fluid environment.
0: And he does I, a little phone freaking, by the way. I, think you, I, th- I thought you would like that.
1: Yeah, he runs around in a mechanical switch. You know, like back <laughs> when the switches were mechanical in the phone and he company. Call, I
0: think, doesn't he at one point, he do a little social engineering. He calls the operator and asks for something.
1: He does. There's a whole bunch. Um, there's a whole bunch. Well, they explain that as that he, was a, he worked in telecommunications before he worked in the CIA. Right, when he was in the, when he was in the Army, I think. And then think. afterward, they say something about him working for uh, Bell Labs or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I so, did like the way that he did a little phone free game. There's lots of like the, the, the sort of conveniently placed New York telephone sort of van allows him to sort of steal everything he needs. I thought that was clever.
1: So you, um, you know what? You know what? I, the thing I the reason I really like this movie and the thing, the central thing about the movie that I like, which ties into the, the what they were trying to achieve with Kathy and Turner's relationship um, you know, even though it's strange, uh, sort of unrealistic in a way, <laughs> at least the way it starts out and it's weird. But I think that the thing in the movie that that's great is so, you know, when at the time of this movie, uh, this is after, um, you know, first the '60s assassinations and then especially Watergate, right? And then after Watergate, right, so
0: distrust of the government is at a
1: peak, right? And specifically the CIA, and and just in, in general, people felt. Um, paranoid and disjointed and and worse than paranoid because, you know, after Watergate, it turns out that some of the burglars were in the CIA. And then, um, you know, from that, there was a um, report, uh, you know, the Family Jewels report that came out and then uh, was a basically a report detailing all the it came out as a result of Watergate, where they um, they the CIA investigated itself and tried to figure out what they had done that was illegal or outside the scope of their practice. And there were a whole bunch of things that came out that they were doing. Um, and that report kind of got leaked um, right around this time. The Pentagon Papers about a secret dealings in the Vietnam War came out. Um, Watergate, obviously, all those things. So the... The country was paranoid and the movie is, it's not, it's not just paranoid. It's about the feeling of isolation and loss that I think people experience that comes from accepting not only that the world is not as it seems, um, but that you can't really trust anything and that the things you expected are not, are not real.
0: And the and, institutions you were taught to count on maybe aren't worthy of that trust,
1: right? And there, there are a lot of things in in the world that are um, where you, that that you it came out in a way you didn't expect, and it, it leads to that sort of feeling of isolation, that feeling of loss. And I think Kathy's supposed to feel that way. You know, she takes those lonely pictures, she doesn't commit to anybody, she's sort of an isolated person. And I think they're supposed to have um, be kindred spirits in some way. And that's supposed to explain the love interest. Right. But that's what I like about the movie. I like that. I think, you know, there were a bunch of paranoid movies that came out around this time. Right. And some of them actually, a lot of them were with Redford, like, well, you know, um, All the President's Men. And, well, right. That's sort of the pinnacle of them. Right.
0: The pinnacle paranoid movie is All the President's Men
1: right but you know that that's the thing i i kind of like about this movie it really uh it's highly it's more it's beyond paranoid it it's into the post paranoid maybe uh what what's in catch-22 um just because you're paranoid doesn't mean you aren't somebody right, who's after is really you. after you right, you know, right. <laughs>
0: um speaking of paranoid max von Seidau as the sort of lead assassin Right. Um, also steals his scenes from Redford. I mean, I think both she and he steal their scenes from Redford, granted that they have fewer of them. But he's, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of people who have had as good a career as Max von Sydow. I mean, he worked with Bergman. A lot. He worked with Woody Allen. He worked with Pollock. He worked with everybody. uh, He was Ming the Merciless and Flash
1: Gordon. (laughs) (laughs) Who made Um, Flash Gordon? i don't know if anybody was anybody known <laughs> who uh, else is in flash no, gordon sam j it?
0: jones uh flash gordon was directed by i think a guy named mike hodges but i don't know if he made any other movies i can't think of another yeah, mike, mike hodges. hodges movie um but uh but i mean score by you know queen. max max <laughs> <laughs> we're digressing crazy uh, score by queen yeah. Have you seen, by the way, the Ted movies of Mark Wahlberg and the foul mouth talking bear? No. Oh, because a huge th- thread throughout both the Ted movies is that they're big fans of Flash Gordon, and then they end up meeting <laughs> Sam J. Jones, who plays Flash, and he's in both movies. So, like, he, they're sort of running around with Sam J. Jones, and there's lots of hilarious scenes of them sort of, like, with Flash running around. Awesome. <laughs> um, but, um... You know he plays you know the professional assassin like he's completely emotionless mm-hmm. it's all work you know he's not worried about anybody's feelings and he's not he's not worried about the morality of anything he is or isn't doing uh to the point that at the end of the movie he offers he basically says to redford like hey you're pretty good at this thing. you're, you should you're consider, a natural. you know being an assassin with me yeah you know, and he says it in a very matter of fact way, like the way you might, you know, offer somebody a regular job. Like, hey, you know, you're pretty good at this. So, you know, just think
1: about it, you know. <laughs> After which he gives them some great advice. You know, yeah. That, uh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, the
0: retirement package is pretty good. You get a 401k, <laughs> I prefer you know, 28 Europe. days off for your, for, you know, you know, you get to attend the academic meetings, you know,
1: the assassins. <laughs> that's, wait, that's not such a benefit. <laughs> <laughs> um but he's i think he's he does a lot
0: with a small part and you actually if you add up all the screen time that max one Sydow has it's only about 15 minutes right you know he has a long scene at the end which is really about seven or eight minutes but before that you just see him very very transiently a couple times he's got some short but again, scenes I, but I, and i always wonder this i mean i'm not an actor but i always wonder like you know how aware are the actors of this sort of thing? Like, was Robert Redford like when he sat down to watch the dailies with Pollock in the in the screening room? Was he like, "Ah, crap, I got upstaged," you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. I so know. you know. So, so to flip it over, who disappears in this movie? Like, who don't you remember? Well, there are a bunch That's of a small trick question because I'm asking you who you don't remember. No, 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 a big one. It's Cliff Robertson. Yeah, right. Cliff Robertson, who I think is a great actor, who's been in a ton of things. He's, uh, he was good, you know.
1: Well,
0: well I mean, he has in the in big going, scene at the end. Yeah, it? but he has, and he's kind of all through it. But he really doesn't. I don't know. Like, um, I don't know. I mean, I've probably seen 15 or 20 movies that. Cliff Robertson has been in over the years, but I don't know. Like for this, he just kind of he kind of vanished into the background for me. I mean, he's supposed to be the CIA mastermind, and he I don't know. Like I almost felt like he just phoned it in.
1: You know, the other the, the he's a victim of the complexity of the CIA in this movie because they show a whole bunch of people milling around, and it took me a couple of viewings to figure out exactly who was who in the end. Because the first time, you're not really sure. Who's good in the CIA? Who's bad? Who's who? Even the, the mastermind who gets killed at the end is only, you only see him on screen in the scene where he's, you know, rubbed out.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: So you kind of, it's hard to know who's who. But, you know, Cliff Robertson is supposed to be a guy. Well, oh, I
0: don't know. If, I mean, a lot of them, you're not, you don't necessarily really need to know who they are.
1: You don't, but it's hard to remember a character if you don't have a place for them in your head in the story, you don't have sort of a, you don't have a a place to put them on the landscape. And, yeah, and I'll give you that. And I'm I'll not give you sure, that. I, you know, it's hard to know where he is. I mean, now that I've seen it again, I've seen it, you know, a few times over the years at this point, and now I know where to put him, you know, he's a, like a mid-level manager who um, is, is basically is, is innocent in the sense that, his intentions are good from his viewpoint. You know, in the last scene, he's, he's a little questionable, um, but he, he's not uh, plotting or trying to kill people for no reason. And he's not, uh, he's not greedy. um, And he's innocent of the assassination. True. True.
0: But again, for a guy, I'm just going back to Cliff Robertson for a second. Right. I mean, this is a guy who won, a best actor Academy award. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just not that caliber of a performance. Yeah. And again, if, if if he had, I don't know, there's, if there was more oomph in their confrontation, I think it would have been better. Like they, I don't know, like he didn't seem smart enough to have that job the way he was written.
1: I I know what you mean. Um, I think they could have done a little, they probably could have, had a little more oomph in the final scene, you know, because... The, a little
0: more exposition.
1: Right. Maybe a little more confrontation. I mean, you know, my we're going to talk about later, but, uh, you know, we get to favorite line and all that stuff. But, you know, my favorite line in the movies in that scene, and it's the ultimate final cap on the movie paranoia when he says, you know, Turner. So in the end of the movie, in that scene, he comes back, uh, the CIA, um, turned and killed its own. They killed the guy who was, who had been plotting and Turner comes back to New York and he goes to meet with Cliff Robertson's character in the street. And Cliff Robertson basically tells him like, okay, we'll bring you back in and everything's great and things are good again. And so he basically, um, It turns out that Robert Redford gave his story to the New York Times. They're standing in front of the New York Times building where they meet, and they're they're ready to. Are they going to print it regardless, or just if Redford gets killed? Well, that's the that's the fun part. So you know, they have that discussion where Cliff Robertson tells him, like you know, defends even though maybe they were evil about the way they did it. He defends the intention of the subplotters within the CIA who killed the section that Robert Redford was in. He says, you know, that someday, because it's all about oil, and it's some convoluted thing that probably, I don't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, they
0: never really explain it. It's just like something about
1: oil. It doesn't have to make sense. It's basically some evil subplot that's, uh, you know, one of the many evil subplots that was coming out at the time, akin to that. So he um, right. But he says, you know, someday people will need us and then they're going to want their oil basically, you know. So we're doing maybe maybe this isn't so great, but our intentions are good and we're doing the right thing. And Redford, right, if not for
0: today, for down the road. Right.
1: And Redford disagrees with him, And he says, I gave him the paper and then they part ways. And Redford's walking away and um, Cliff Robertson says to him, you know, hey, Turner, how do you know they'll print it?
0: Right, because at the end, I wasn't I I wasn't a hundred percent sure that, like, was he just threatening or was the story already out? It wasn't out yet.
1: I think what he's saying is no
0: meaning like had the times committed. You don't know.
1: Well, he gave it to the times, and you your first thought is all right. Well, Redford's safe because now he's going to be. It's all going to come out, and he won't. He'll be untouchable because it'll all be public. But then,
0: but but he but they leave it. They leave it in a much more sort of paranoid ending where he says exactly. to him something to the effect of like. Like we're not going to forget about this and and you know the the last shot is a very sort of paranoid shot of him. like the movie ends with a, a freeze frame, and he's you know he I think he's even like literally and figuratively looking over his shoulder. like right. the implication is even if they print the story, you know he may get a bullet in his head.
1: No, I think the implication is you know when he says, "How do you know they'll print it?" he's saying, "How do you know we're not we're not going to suppress it." How do you know the CIA won't, you know, that the Times is going to go against what we say and that we won't be able to suppress the story? That's what he means. So that's the final paranoid cap in the movie. You know, and as a matter of fact, you know, the New York, the CIA, um, the Pentagon papers about um, the illicit expansion of the Vietnam War. Into like Laos and Cambodia, and right? All this Broken other stuff.
0: by the New York Times.
1: Broken by the New York Times. The CIA, based on leaks. But by the way, um, the CIA did try to prevent the Times from publishing it.
0: But I imagine too. I mean, if you're, I mean, I've read various things about this over the years. I mean, there's lots of stories that editors of major newspapers get asked to sit on, and sometimes they do.
1: They do. Sure.
0: Sometimes you find out later that. You know, oh, they had the story ready to run and, you know, they held it for two weeks so the president could give an address or whatever. They could do something first. Oh, yeah. yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I guess it wasn't – to me, I think it's left ambiguous as to whether the story ever runs or not. And it's also left ambiguous as to whether they come after him and if they do is is the implication that he's ultimately going to get rubbed out no matter what.
1: Sure, that's meaning the right like, part.
0: Meaning he can only run so much.
1: Right. Maybe he'll be safe, but maybe – um cliff robertson is correct and they won't let him publish it how do you know they'll print it so right that's the paranoid that's the ultra paranoid headache which is very well done i think
0: right and again and then higgins is calm at the end the cliff robertson character like he's not freaking out you know like when he hears the time has a story like he doesn't panic like he realizes he still has weapons in his arsenal
1: yeah so uh,
0: that was well done one thing that I, that I like um is I like to revisit the 70s and I think that you know the 70s has been sort of unfairly mocked and maligned and like for example that 70s show bell or bottoms. well and I'm like it's sort of it's people in the 70s were always sort of portrayed as like ridiculous buffoons you know
1: like platforms with shoes.
0: Uh, right in leisure suits and bell bottoms and beads and flower children you know, right. sort of stupidly, but but like this is you know filmed in the seventies, and the people are wearing seventies clothes and have seventies haircuts, and A they look completely normal, and B they look great. Like their clothes look cool.
1: Yeah, you
0: know, like it's well, it's just sort of weird a how suit either right exactly, but it's sort of interesting how like the seventies has been sort of carved out, and it's always represented in this sort of like moronic stereotypical way, whereas like, if you just look at the people walking around in the background shots, like, they could all be walking around Manhattan today and they would look completely normal. Like, nobody would look askance at them. Like, I don't know. Like, it's nice to see those sort of 70s clothes and the 70s, like I said, the, the New York telephone van, the rotary <laughs> phone, you know, like the furniture in her apartment. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. it, it looks like, you know, it looks like stuff i remember seeing as a kid and like you know when we were kids and we looked at the adults we didn't think that they looked like they were clowns in ridiculous costumes they were just adults wearing grown up clothes you know like they just looked normal yeah but it's interesting to see the way you know the 70s actually looked as opposed to the way that the 70s is usually portrayed in
1: movies yeah and it was the other thing is you know they it was sort of well and naturally lit and shot so it it has a sort of um realistic quality to it
0: the lighting is very flat like i actually made a little note on that like there's there's very little highlighting there's no use of spotlights you know like like the in his cia cell you know like you get the sense that there's fluorescent lighting Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's neutral
1: yeah yeah but i
0: think that's you know richard i just have to throw out a nod here to richard linklater who uh you know his 70s films you know, granted they're about teenagers usually, mm-hmm. but his seventies films also feel kind of genuine and they're made much, much later, you know, decades later. Mm-hmm. But like, for example, if you see like Days and Confuse, for example, mm-hmm. you know, like Days and Confuse, like that's how kids looked in the 70s, you know, like it's the same idea. Like he's not going over the top, he's trying to represent it like it actually was but again like so many times they don't go that way they just kind of wreck it
1: by the way i still kind of look like that (laughs)
0: like it's the 70s
1: (laughs) yeah i don't have quite as much chest hair as a burt reynolds (laughs)
0: nobody had quite as much chest hair as (laughs) burt reynolds
1: (laughs) that's the one thing that's not out that's not in anymore
0: yeah yeah but well, yeah body hair went away everybody's waxed uh everybody's waxed out, like crazy i
1: know On, on Reddit, tell you, on reddit, tell you you're getting one of those back cracking sacks that hurts <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 on reddit if anybody ever posts a picture of anybody who is not completely and absolutely hairless there'll be 400 posts that say trim dude
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. um Standards um, of, manly, of manliness and femininity change constantly.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't worry. They'll change again.
1: You Oh, know? yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll change again. No, no question. And um, so, um, my perineum won't hurt so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I don't it.
0: We, I didn't know, I didn't know how much you want to discuss your perineum.
1: <laughs> Listen, anything for a joke, my friend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did something kind of interesting as an experiment. Um when he phone
1: freaks, we're not talking about my uh, parodia. I hope.
0: No, no, no. I'm, okay, I'm definitely trying to run as far <laughs> as I can from your parodia. <laughs> so when he phone freaks, um, with his little social engineering, the number he gets is two o two 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 seven zero nine zero zero nine eight. So two o two 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 seven zero zero nine. So I called it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well, I figured I couldn't have been the first person too, right? Because that's supposed to be—it's not a uh, Leonard. That's supposed to be Leonard Atwood, Mm -hmm. right? Um, The guy with the renegade plan to start a war, right? And interestingly, um, it, it says all circuits are busy at this time. Try later. So I tried a bunch of times, and no matter when you call, it says all circuits busy. Oh my god, it's part of the CIA plot. <laughs> I know, I know. I was like, oh my god. Then I realized I didn't do Star Six Seven before I called, so they totally got me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're listening to this right now, way before we publish it. I hope so. Our packets not, are being I just want
0: someone to listen to it.
1: I know. Well, anyway, now, so I did, but off. I did
0: actually I did actually call the number because I was really curious. Peter? Yeah, Peter? here, You there? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately um, they
1: got bored. Like the rest of our audience, right? Exactly, 40 years ago. Um,
0: best, uh, best scene, best line, best shot.
1: Yeah, you want what do you want? You want, uh, you want me to go first? Either way, you can go first. All right, I think the best scene is uh, the scene with Joe Bear at the end that we already. To which we have already referred. The Max von Seidel. Yeah. So Joubert, when Jobert basically comes in, you think Jobert's is going to kill uh, Robert Redford, but he shoots the, the evil Atwood um, right, the evil CIA agent, man, And uh, makes it look like a suicide. And then that scene and then the subsequent scene is they go outside and Jobert tells him, you know, like, how'd you pick the girl? And, you know, you're pretty good at this. And here's your <laughs> gun back because someday. And he describes to him how they're going to try to kill him. And he gives him a bunch of really good advice, and Redford really th- listens.
0: It's and a great touch that he gives him the gun. Like yeah. he's so unafraid. Here, here's your, uh, yeah. here's your gun that It looked day. like, by the way, it looked like a forty five, nineteen eleven. Yeah, it's I couldn't to be. be sure, but that's what it looked like a nineteen eleven
1: to me. Yeah, I think it is. And uh um, what about you? That was
0: I, I, that wasn't my best scene, but we'll get to me. What was your best line and best shot?
1: My best line, like I said, was "Hey Turner, how do you know they'll print it?" Yeah. Um, at the end. And, I, and my best shot uh I didn't, this movie was not cinematically, you know, um it's just shot in a realistic way. It's, with it's very funny that you say shots. that I don't
0: have a best shot. I yeah. have a best line and a best scene and I didn't have a best shot. I couldn't think of one that really kind of grabbed me I, to say, I, you know, I, grabbed me is like, Hey, that's the one. I have
1: a weak pick. Um, I, I, f- I picked because, you know, I don't think there is a best shot, but you know, pin, if you pin me down, I figured that, uh, this is an, at least an ex- uh, representative or shot for the movie, which is, you know, when he, when, Gilbert is going to shoot him after they meet in the apartment building and they ride down in the elevator together and they know who each other is um, in real life right right they, they
0: figured everything they out they figured
1: it out and then he knows that Gilbert is going to try to kill him so he gets a bunch of he tells a bunch of people in the lobby like hey I'll give you five bucks if you help me break into my car I locked my keys inside <laughs> and there's a, and then a whole bunch of them like are surrounding him so he can't be shot and then there's a which scene, is
0: by the way which is also social engineering
1: totally And so, like, but there, you know, that's one of the first sort of times where he's really facile on his feet. That you kind of see, you sort of see him transform himself, sort of into becoming right. He's he's still on
0: the run, but you see, you see that the tables, you see the potential that he could turn the tables,
1: right. And then the shot is when Gilbert is looking through the scope and you know, there's a shot you know, where he comes out of the building. Joe looking through the scope at him and he's got all these people around him. And he doesn't have right. a clear shot. And Although Joubert's he doesn't smiles. pay them. He
0: runs away and they're like, Hey,
1: yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, he needed the five bucks, you know, right.
0: Run. <clears throat> so I didn't have a best shot, uh, either. I had two best scenes and I had, uh, a best line. Um, I had a tie for best scene I thought one was when uh, uh, the Chen woman, the woman who plays his girlfriend, when she's about to be killed, she says, I'm not going to scream. Right. You know, and it's sort of like sort of act of defiance, you know, to which they're like, all right, don't scream. And they still shoot her. But it's, a, it's like it's kind of a it's a very hard bitten scene. Like it shows that they're both tough, meaning Move away from the she's window, tough please. in the face of certain doom Right, where and, and they're you know, they are unmoved by her youth and beauty. Like yeah. she's just someone who's gotta be erased. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a very good scene. I thought also the phone freaking scene, I keep coming back to it because it's really when the it's really when he turns the table. Like that's when all of a sudden he's no longer passive and playing catch up, like he's now starting to turn the thing around them. He's figuring out their game from the inside. Right. Um I thought that was very good. And I thought that she had uh, Faye Donaway had the best line. Um, I watched the trailer afterwards, and the line is actually in the trailer, but I didn't watch the trailer but afterwards, and she says to him, I don't think you're gonna live much longer.
1: Yeah, that was a good one too.
0: That's a very, very good line. Yep. Um she by the way, her, her runner-up for best line is is uh she says, uh, you know what he sends her on a mission? Right. You know, she goes and does a little mission and she says, Always depend on the old spy fucker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and she makes that was a,
0: my that was my runner-up. She, refer,
1: she refers to uh, his to the what's his name, Janice, the you know Asian uh, girlfriend who gets killed. Like she asks him, is was she a volunteer or a uh, conscript like May or something like that? Also, <laughs> right,
0: right. She has a good sense about her.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she's very appealing in the movie.
0: Yeah, Janice Chan is her character's name.
1: Yeah. So.
0: So do you, so, I guess the question is, does it hold up? Um, and again, you know, this is a little bit your Logan's Run in the sense that this is a movie that from the seventies that you're aware of and you've thought a lot about and definitely played kind of a, a big role in your mind. Um, I thought that it half held up and it half didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think that the the Redford storyline and the the spy caper part worked well. I like I said I never bought their relationship and i think they they did it about as well as they could i just but still I, I i think i don't know if they if they made the movie now there's no way they could make it like this like i think modern audiences would would just pass on it or every single reviewer would comment on the fact that he abducts her and ties her up and assaults her yet she still falls for him
1: <laughs> no i agree <laughs> i mean that's that's clearly the the, the flaw In the movie, and I, you know, like we discussed before, I think they probably should have changed the order and the plot. Um, I, I think the movie holds up though, just because of the it's 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 a really good paranoid postmodern movie, Um, and uh, it, it just the way it deals with you know the the consequences of isolation post paranoia i yeah. think is is very it's very well done um i think we should give a nod to sydney pollack right the director sydney pollack um, yeah made and and uh, you too. know
0: yeah and it's funny because to me he'll always be victor ziegler and eyes wide shut from an acting point of view How about um, Husbands
1: and Wives? I loved him in Husbands and Wives. Yeah, yeah, he's great in that. And and he plays the guy you really, really identify with in Husbands and Wives. Um,
0: But, you know, but as a director, I mean, he probably directed 25, 30 movies. And I think he has three with Redford, right? He has Jeremiah Johnson and The Electric Horseman. There might be more, but those were at least... uh, No, you know what? Out of Africa, too, is also Robert Redford. So there's at least four Robert Redford uh directed films sorry sydney Pollock directed films with robert redford mm-hmm. um interesting but uh, he had a good career too
1: havana, but uh, it's funny wasn't redford in havana too i think he was you
0: know i don't know i've never seen havana but yeah you're right uh, redford i just double checked that uh, robert redford is i've never seen havana um but he's you know but he could act too and he's very very good in uh in eyes wide shut he's good in tootsie Mm-hmm.
1: um and he produced uh, a bunch of stuff tons of he, he really he had a yeah. tremendous career he had a
0: good career he had a good career um uh, so i guess i just i didn't want the podcast to finish without giving a little nod uh to Sidney pollock
1: well he executive produced uh i didn't realize this he executive produced uh emma thompson's sense and sensibility oh it's interesting i think is a great movie
0: I mean, the guy, I mean, the guy basically did everything you could possibly do in the, in the movies, you know, he
1: acted, he directed,
0: he produced, you know, the only thing, I guess, he, you know, what else did, what else did he, what else is there to do? And for all, you know, I haven't looked it up, but my suspicion is he wrote some stuff. <clears throat> um, any final thoughts, final thoughts on three days of the condor? The book, by the way, is called six days of the condor,
1: right? But I never
0: read the book. Did, you, did you read the book?
1: No, I never did, but you know, movie audiences are—they don't—they don't pay attention for that long, so they had to make it three days. They had to make it shorter. <laughs> if they made it today, it would be three minutes of the Condor.
0: <laughs> it would just <laughs> be a remake. music video. It would be a music remake, video shown exclusively on YouTube.
1: Well, it's with Tom Cruise,
0: right? You need to give it a lot of likes.
1: <laughs> Tom Cruise is in it. Three minutes of the Condor, and uh, it's an action. Movie.
0: Worst episode ever. <laughs> Uh, uh, all righty. We should do a should wrap it there. just entirely
1: doing that guy. As comic book guy? <laughs> As comic book guy. Well, we probably get sued by the pr- producers of the.
0: I have all the alternate covers. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: yeah. All right. All right. So we'll wrap it there. Three days of the Condor. Uh, and we will be back uh, next week. I think we might be jumping decade next week.
1: Time. all right thank you peter <laughs>